0: Good morning. Welcome to North Bible Church. I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And we've been in this series for several weeks now, um, but it just seems like it couldn't, there couldn't be a more appropriate time, uh, at least in our nation, to be talking about the kingdom of Jesus because uh, deep inside all of us uh, is a yearning uh, to be under someone who is just, uh, to be in a kingdom where truth and righteousness uh, are elevated, and they're real, uh, that truth is really the truth, and that righteousness is lifted up, uh, and evil is called what it is. And we all have an innate yearning for that um, that's given to us by our Father. And, and so our sermon series right now is about Jesus's kingdom, and the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been looking at in the book of Matthew, you could call that Jesus' vision casting for his kingdom. He gathers his followers, his disciples, and he starts off by saying, you know what, this, this is what it looks like in my kingdom. In my kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit. In, in my kingdom, blessed are are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are meek. That's what it looks like in my kingdom. And then Jesus talks about the righteousness in his kingdom. He says it's not a righteousness according to the law where where there's a line in the ground and and you're just making sure that you stay on this side of the line and don't put your your toe Over the line. He says, No, no, no. Your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees, that of the religious leaders of your day. Your righteousness needs to exceed theirs if you want to enter the kingdom. If you want to enter into life as it's intended in my kingdom, then it's not about a line that you don't cross. Uh, It's about truth and my word and my heart penetrating to your heart to create a true. Righteousness within you. And he said, I want you to take that light that's produced within you and I want you to let it shine. I want you to let that righteousness that, that is produced by my heart in your heart to shine out to the world. That they would see your good deeds and as a result, They would give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Because this is the deal. (laughs) You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are my kingdom on earth. And I want you to be like a city set... On a hill that that people can't miss it and that they're drawn to it for what it holds for them. A place of safety and refuge where a king, a proper king, rules in the hearts of his people. That sums up the Sermon on the Mount up to the point where we pick up today, which is the beginning of chapter 6. And this chapter 6 begins kind of a new section, a new theme in the Sermon on the Mount. And the theme, we could say, is is about life before God for the Jesus follower. And a reminder that that all of life is lived in the presence of God. And so how should it be lived? And in this passage, we're going to find both a warning... And an encouragement. Uh, The warning first, and later an encouragement and and an invitation. Uh, And the warning is this Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, He says, Beware, Uh, pay attention, look out for, be on the watch for. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is warning us about something else that is innate in us. And that's a desire for the approval of others. That that we want others to think well of us. Uh, That that we want others to notice us and and take notice of us. Uh, That we want to be recognized. And Jesus says, beware of this tendency to want people to notice. And to notice what specifically? Your acts of righteousness. That that we wouldn't become like who he is later going to call the hypocrites, the Pharisees. Uh, who, who their desire to be seen corrupts their very acts of righteousness, penetrates into their piety in life, their, their interactions with God. And so we need to be aware of this tendency to want to be seen in our acts of worship, to be seen in our acts of righteousness. Uh, In Jesus' day, there were three primary acts of piety, all of which are addressed in this passage. Um, The first one being almsgiving, or giving to the needy. The second being prayer, which was often uh, done in public or at least communal spaces, praying together, and then also fasting. And so he, he points out how the hypocrites, how the scribes, try to draw attention to themselves through these acts. And we're going to focus primarily this morning in this passage for time's sake on prayer. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, as I was thinking about this innate desire that we have for approval, I'm often trying to evaluate, are are my desires from the nature that God has put in me, from the God nature, or are they from my sin nature? Is this my sin nature? that's acting within me, or, or is this a holy thing from God? And, and you know, I think we could kind of debate that about our desire for approval. You know, when I look at different people, and, and many of us are familiar with the book called uh, The Seven Love Languages, right? There's, there's a love language that's a, a words of affirmation, right? And, and we know that giving people words of affirmation can be a positive thing. So maybe here, um, the tendency that we need to notice is when it creeps into our acts of worship, when, when our desire for approval, when our desire to be seen gets our eyes off of God or off of God's kingdom and gets our eyes onto ourselves, gets our eyes onto our kingdom. And then Jesus uses this word hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Because here's the thing. Nobody likes a hypocrite. I mean, to some degree, we all are hypocrites. Because we're not perfect. But, but nobody likes a hypocrite. And I think Jesus has two primary concerns in this regard. Uh, The first is the way that this desire to be seen corrupts our worship. And the second is that hypocrites cannot be salt and light, which he has very much intended for us to be. And how often thoughts of self creep into what should be Our holiest of moments. Uh, Am I the only one? Am I the only one who has noticed how difficult a time of prayer can be without thoughts invading, thoughts of self, thoughts of others, criticalness, a critical spirit? How often those things creep into our corporate worship time here in church how often as i'm supposed to be directing my heart to the lord in praise instead i'm thinking about someone that's sitting in front of me or behind me i'm i'm being critical of what they're doing or they're not doing all the while i'm supposed to be offering worship to god and yet this tendency within me is there operating And I think that was what was most striking about this passage is just the pervasiveness, the relentlessness of the sin nature that dwells within us, that even when we desire to approach the Lord with a holy mindset, we are still engaged in a battle against Our sin nature. Uh, Because sin isn't just the things that we do. Right? Oftentimes we think of sin as murder, lying, lust, um, you know, add to the list, adultery, etc., etc. And it's true, those things are sin. But sin is more than our actions. Sin is something that dwells within us. It's, it's part of our nature. It's our sin nature. It's also everything that's wrong in the world is due to the corruption of sin. And the fact that Jesus has to warn us about the ability of sin to corrupt us even at those holiest of moments is striking to me. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous British pastor, wrote this regarding sin and the picture that Jesus gives us of it in this passage. He says, sin, he shows us here, is something which follows us all the way, even into the presence of God. Sin is not merely something that tends to assail us and afflict us when we are far away from God, in the far country, as it were. No, sin is something so terrible, according to our Lord's exposure of it, that it will not only follow us to the gates of heaven, but if it were possible, into heaven itself. This thing that has entered into our very nature and constitution as human beings is something so polluted That our whole being, that when man is engaged in his highest form of activity, which is worship, he still has a battle to wage with it. It's almost grieving. but it should open our eyes to the pervasiveness of sin, to how relentlessly it pursues us and seeks to overtake us. It's not something to be coddled or to keep in a pet place, but it desires to rule over us and keep us from being salt and light So what are we to do? Jesus gives us some encouragement, an invitation, as it were. He says in Matthew 6, verse 6, He says, But when you pray, but when you pray, If we were reading this in the Greek, we would know that Jesus is being emphatic about you. He's drawing a distinction here. He's saying, you, you, the called out ones, you, my followers, you who are after my Father's heart, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you he says to pray to our father who is in secret that that we're seeking something hidden and that we come with a focus to discover it to enter into the presence of Our Father. And then he says that he sees in secret and that he rewards in secret. You see, the invitation here is that in our worship, in our prayer, there's no need for pretense. There's no need for a facade that we often erect. As a matter of fact, there's no point in pretense or a facade because the Father sees in secret. He sees the heart. And what He cares about most is the heart. It's not about what you're doing outwardly. It's not about who knows what you're doing or what others are thinking about what you are doing. It's about your father who sees in secret and wants you to approach him in secret. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up on the stage and and I wanna extend an invitation to you as well. That as we prepare to spend some time in worship, you would take a moment to just exclude, exclude all kinds of things, exclude thoughts of yourself, Exclude thoughts of others. Wor- exclude worry. Exclude pretense. Exclude your facade. And join us. Come. Seek, worship, honor. Father who's in secret. Uh, who knows your heart. It sees every part of it. It's that heart that he wants you to bring him this morning. You know, would you just uh, take a moment to picture uh, your father in heaven smiling over the sweet, sweet sound of his people's worship rising up to him. Without facade, without pretense. Not being mechanical or rote, but from the heart. You know, in our passage when Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and how they love to pray standing on the street corners and in the synagogues. It's kind of a strategic move on their part, that there were set times to pray. And Jesus is saying that some of the time they would intentionally set it up so that they would be in a specific location when that call to prayer occurred where they could be seen by the largest number of people or the most influential people or whoever they wanted most to be seen by. And and they just so happened to be at that location at that time of the day, whether it was morning prayer or midday prayer or evening prayer. And then they would set up their place to be praised by, to be seen by men. And Jesus knows that the Jewish custom was to honor these times of prayer. And so, in the middle of this, and it's really a breakup of this passage as you look at the form of it, um, this whole Lord's Prayer thing is really like just kind of stuck in the middle of this thing, in between prayer and and fasting. But Jesus says, you know, I want to give you a prayer to pray. I want to give you my prayer to pray, a kingdom oriented prayer. And I want you to take this prayer with you for your morning prayer, for your midday prayer, for your evening prayer, because this prayer is going to orient your hearts. It's going to bring your mind and your heart back into focus that this is about the kingdom. Remember, we're, we're in the middle of my vision casting for my kingdom. And this is a kingdom prayer that I want you to pray. He says, so pray like this. Or in Luke's version, he says, when you pray, say this, right? <clears throat> so, so I came out of a traditional church where we prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, and then I came into a non-denominational church that didn't use the Lord's Prayer at all, and, and so you go from, no, this is the prayer that we need to pray every time we gather together to, oh, no, we don't do that stuff. That's just rote. That's mechanical. Nobody thinks about what they're praying, and... Jesus is saying, look, this is is a kingdom-oriented prayer that I'm leaving for my followers forever. And here it is. Pray like this. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread and forgive us forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. It's a kingdom-oriented prayer. It's the prayer of a life that's lived for God's glory. God's glory is written all over this prayer. It's a prayer that's been the foundation of church and worship for centuries. And maybe we're losing something if it's not part of our daily life. Well, it's broken into two sections, the the you section and the we section, or the us section. And and the first section, the you section, the you God section, is the first two verses, verses 9 and 10. It's the, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done. And the first thing he says is, hallowed be your name. Honored, revered, may it be made holy, literally, be made holy or kept holy, the name of God. And it has two dimensions. Jesus is is praying two things here. We come to this and pray two things. God, would you act in such a way as to glorify yourself? Jesus prayed that prayer. Lord, would you glorify yourself? And so, God, would you act in such a way that you'd be glorified? And second of all, may your name be revered among men. And then when I take that to heart, it's may I do nothing to soil taint the name of God. May I not be one of the hypocrites that causes someone else to place contempt on the people of God or the name of God. So he says, hallowed be your name. And next he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, sometimes I think even Those of us who are in church regularly, we we get confused about the end game of Christianity, if you want to call it that. The end game of Christianity is not this ethereal thing where we're floating on clouds in heaven and harps and there's music playing and, you know, maybe there's puppies running around, I don't know. That's not the end game of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The end game of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, established on earth. God reigning over the earth in truth and righteousness, in peace and justice. what we yearn for and can never have in our world today is the end game of Christianity that the Lord and righteous God, loving Father who has created all things and holds all things together (laughs) solely through his word would come and reign on the earth. So that's the you section and then the we section is intended to remind us to focus us again on our dependence and our reliance on the father give us forgive us deliver us in verse 11 he teaches us to pray give us this day our daily bread May we be reminded of our dependence on you each and every day. Because just as we have this innate desire for approval, we also have an innate desire to be self-made people, to do it ourselves. And Jesus teaches us to pray, no God, you give us, we're dependent on you giving us what we need for this day, every day. And then forgive us in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, I don't need any better reminder of my constant need for forgiveness than what we talked about about 10 or 15 minutes ago and just the perniciousness, the relentlessness of my own sin nature, which would even convince me that I'm not really in need of forgiveness. It's called pride. But the fact that it invades my holiest of moments should be a reminder of my need for forgiveness. And then he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then just in case we weren't clear about how much forgiveness is intended to be a hallmark of Jesus' kingdom, and a hallmark of Jesus' people, he throws in verses 14 and 15 at the end, and he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus throws that in at the end of this prayer Again, just to make sure that we're all clear about how critical our forgiving of others is to being salt and light. How critical our forgiving of others is in our relationship with the Father. And finally, Jesus teaches us to pray in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We will face testing. We will face temptation. But we need the Lord to deliver us. In our own strength, we will fail. But as we depend on Him, His strength, His leading, His spirit in us, we cry out for Him to deliver us from evil. Or, as many translations put it, from evil the evil one, our adversary. Well, we've spent some time this morning talking about prayer. And we've now looked at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And I want to set aside a little bit of time in our service this morning uh, to pray corporately. To pray together as a body, and and the way we're going to do this <clears throat> is we're going to start off with the Lord's prayer, uh, and some of you will struggle like I'm going to struggle this morning with reading it from the ESV version uh, on the screen instead of the way that maybe you learned it as a little kid, um, with the thighs and the Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Yeah, um, <clears throat> so we're gonna we're gonna pray the Lord's prayer. And then we're going to take some time for silent prayer uh, as a body. And I'll, I'll lead you uh, a little bit of, in that. And then finally, we're going to close with something, uh, a historic prayer of the church called the Glory Be. Um, and so you may not be as familiar with this, um, but I don't want anybody to freak out. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is a prayer that's been prayed in the church for centuries and across all kinds of um, denominations. And one that I've been using in my personal prayer time to close it um, lately. Uh, And so we'll close with that. Uh, So, would you join me? Why don't we stand for the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us take a few minutes, a couple of minutes, to pray for our nation, to pray for our country.